You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, June 8th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. What is one major key to adapting to climate change in the Golden State? It could be access to homeowners insurance in the event of wildfire. The California report looks into what one observer is calling our current insurance calamity. As KVMR prepares for its 45th birthday, Julia Jem gets a personal view of David Osborne and Charles Woods from two people who were there as the pair helped to transform Nevada City. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In an effort to stem gun violence in the U.S., Governor Gavin Newsom is proposing a 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The new amendment would raise the federal minimum age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21, mandate universal background checks, institute a reasonable waiting period for gun purchases, and ban assault rifle sales. Newsom was asked on NBC's Today Show about mass shootings in California, despite the state having some of the toughest gun laws in the country. And with California's gun death rate today is 73% lower than Texas. These federal judges want to turn America into Texas. We cannot let that happen. Newsom says his proposed constitutional amendment would not supersede or abolish the Second Amendment, which he says he still supports. The amendment idea, though, will have a tough hill to climb. As two-thirds of states would have to propose the same amendment, that would trigger a constitutional convention where 75% of the states would need to vote yes for it to pass. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. A new study shows that disclosing wildfire risk to potential home buyers in California lowers home sale prices. That comes as more homes in the state are built in areas at high risk for wildfire. Here's North State Public Radio's Jamie Jung. The study shows that disclosing high wildfire risk to buyers lowered sale prices by about 4% for homes sold in California between 2015 and 2022. The effect was most pronounced in Southern California. Matthew Wibbenmeyer is a fellow at the nonprofit Environmental Research Institute, Resources for the Future. He co-authored the paper. Wibbenmeyer says the research reinforces a call for more disclosure of climate and disaster risks. Homeowners right now may not have enough information about what kind of risk they're taking on if they choose to live in a high wildfire hazard area. California law requires disclosure only in very high fire risk areas or where the state is responsible for fighting wildfires. For the California Report, I'm Jamie Jiang in Chico.
And let's stay on this topic. Many people living in wildfire-prone areas of California were already struggling with home insurance before the recent news that Allstate and State Farm would stop writing new policies. So how does this change things for people who've already lost their homes to fire? KQED reporter Danielle Benton spoke to one couple looking to rebuild. When their home burned down, Denise Hopkins said to her husband Chester that now is the time to leave town. But she wasn't serious. We have the support of all of our friends because it's a very close-knit community of weed. Visiting her street in the Lincoln Heights neighborhood of the city of weed, ties to family, friends, and memories are everywhere. We have two grandkids that would come up, you know, and then they have their bikes that they could just ride up and down the street. But Denise's street is now a line of scraped clean lots waiting for new foundations to be poured. After a fire broke out at a nearby lumber mill and jumped on embers across a highway, about 80% of the homes in this neighborhood were destroyed last summer. My cousin lived like four doors down, and then next to her was my other cousin, and then next to her was my aunt. And that was my mom's brother. The Hopkins lost two homes in the mill fire, their primary home, and then a rental. They are planning to rebuild, which will only be possible because of insurance but many in the neighborhood didn't have insurance or were underinsured. Knowing that not everyone can reestablish their lives here makes her tear up a bit. But um, it'll never be the same because the fire caused disruption to our neighbors and now some of them may not, may or may not be able to build back over here. And that's the hurtful part about it. I also caught up with Denise and her husband Chester at a local cafe in town. I asked Chester if the news that State Farm and Allstate were pulling back from new home insurance policies in California had him worried. Yeah, he said, for sure. Yep. Yep, Yep, that's one of the big things. It's, it's It's a big thing about that. The insurance companies say California has become too risky and construction costs are rising too fast. But for consumers like Chester and Denise, fewer options in the insurance market make them feel squeezed, like they need to be glad they're just not dropped. Well, we just got the renewal on our other property. It doubled to to renew it. It was doubled. I paid it because we need to keep insurance, but it doubled. State Senator Bill Dodd from Napa says if California can't fix its insurance problem, the economy will suffer more foreclosures and decreased property values. This insurance calamity, I would call it that, that we have today is a product of climate change. But there are also problems unique to California law. Insurance rates have generally risen slower here than in similar climate disaster-prone states like Florida and Texas, owing to a law dating from the 1980s called Prop 103, which effectively puts a speed limit on increases for renewed policies. Prop 103 places many restrictions which are designed to keep rates from being set at unjustifiable levels. But it also isn't adaptable when we need to respond. Dodd says he thinks the time has come to also let insurance companies charge a bit more on renewed policies. For Denise and Chester, that might have meant more gradual increases on their premium instead of a doubling. Stanford's Michael Wara said on KQED's forum that insurance is the key tool that helps people financially weather accidents and disasters. Access to high-quality, reliable insurance is probably the best climate adaptation strategy anyone should take in the first instance. It's the reason Denise and Chester will get to stay in the area that's been home to their families for generations. 
She visualizes the day when she'll walk into her new house. It's going to just be just joy that I can say, all our neighborhood, you know, we're going to have beautiful homes over there. People going to be able to ride up Highway 97 and look at these houses being built and look at people sitting on their porches. And her grandkids can come back and ride their bikes up and down the street. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton in Weed, California, in Siskiyou County. And that, listeners, is the California Report for Thursday, June 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for joining us, and have a great day. In regional news, the Nevada County Sheriff's Department has announced that the body of a 20-year-old man believed to have drowned after jumping into the Yuba River near Bridgeport on Sunday was recovered Wednesday afternoon about a mile downstream from where he was reportedly last seen. This afternoon, the Sheriff's Department identified the man as Alonzo Ramos of Stockton. Family and friends of the man reported the presumed drowning to the Nevada County Sheriff's Office just before 4 Sunday afternoon, saying he had jumped into the river and failed to resurface. The Sheriff's Department continues to urge residents and visitors to stay out of the river because it is dangerously high, cold, and fast. Like many other entities, Briar Patch Food Co-op is celebrating Pride Month to honor the LGBTQ plus community. But when some customers and community members objected to its Pride Month merchandise and activities, the store got creative. Rebecca Torpy, the co-op's director of marketing, told the union newspaper of Grass Valley, This year we saw a huge uptick in the vitriol against Pride Month. It made us sad, but we couldn't stand by and allow our social media platforms to turn into an unsafe, hurtful place. Torpy's solution was an idea similar to a swear jar. Briar Patch has pledged that for every negative comment they receive, it will donate $10 to Lavender Library, a bookstore and venue in Sacramento. Torpy explained to the union, we wanted to support an organization that was a safe space where LGBTQ plus folks can go and where their stories will be shared and treasured. So far, she says, the co-op has raised more than $230 toward the project. Torpy said, this issue is plain and simple about equality, equity, and treating people with love and respect. Now here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, mostly clear with a low around 53. Friday will be mostly sunny with a high near 76. Friday night will be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-50s. Truckee and Lake Tahoe will see scattered showers and thunderstorms before 9 tonight and a low around 40. Some of the storms could produce heavy rain. Friday in Tahoe, expect isolated showers and thunderstorms afternoon, otherwise mostly sunny with a high in the mid-60s. Friday night, isolated showers and thunderstorms with a low around 42. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low around 56 and south wind up to 13 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 18 miles per hour. Mostly sunny Friday with a high near 81. Friday night will be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-50s and south wind up to 11 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 18 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
David Osborne and Charles Woods were instrumental to KVMR's history, early Bay Area transplants who saw the potential for a slightly shabby town to become an artsy, charming magnet for tourists wild for Victoriana. As KVMR prepares to celebrate a milestone, Osborne and Woods are no longer with us, but two of their friends, Howard Levine and Catherine Brandcamp, had ringside seats to their role in the transformation of Nevada City. In this talk with KVMR's Julia Jem, they look back on that era. This month, KVMR will be celebrating its 45th birthday. And this year, we'll be paying our respects to David Osborne and Charles Woods, two of the founding fathers of our community radio station. In the 1950s, the charismatic couple came to Nevada City from Berkeley, California, with a distinct vision for the small mining town that it was then. It would become a cultural center, a home to the arts. And in the process of bringing that vision to life, the American Victorian Museum was born, as was KVMR. In the weeks we've spent in preparation for this important birthday, we've learned a lot about the accomplishments of both Osborne and Woods, but we also wanted to learn about who they were on a more intimate basis. To do so, we spoke with Howard Levine and Catherine Bramcamp. They both knew the two of them personally, albeit under slightly different circumstances. David Osborne had the best smile and the rosiest cheeks, and Charles Woods was the most serious, get-it-done person that I can remember. David would say always, it will happen, and you have a chuckle. So I met David and Charles in the late 60s, and in 1972, they asked me to meet with them and Willard Rose from Bank of America in Nevada City, who was the president of that branch, to talk about the American Victorian Museum in concept and to buy the museum. And so I, as a business person in San Francisco, came to the meeting at the studio on 24th Street in Hoffman, which was being built in collaboration with their partners. And uh, we talked about the importance and the incredible vision that David and Charles had. That was Howard. And when planning his move to Grass Valley, he and his wife Peggy were convinced by David and Charles to purchase the house that they did. David and Charles told them that the house needed them. We moved there, and then we immediately were involved with their project and our project. And we were back and forth. But on the weekends, one of the people living with us, Wendy Schwartz, who's an artist, was the hostess at the dining room for Sunday brunch. And then um, we were just totally embedded in what was going on, the ephemeral, the posters, um, everything that uh, David and Charles were working on. It was great. And they just kept trying to make that dining room work. And we would bring people to that dining room who came and stayed with us. And so it was just a great place for us. And then um, Peggy did uh, a lot of artwork related to the American Victorian Museum, drawings inside, drawings of David and Charles Lofts in Nevada City, and uh, turned them into etchings. So it was um, just a really good friendship that lasted a number of years. And then they got so busy and we got so busy in different things that uh, we saw them less. Then they founded KVMR and American Victorian Radio, and that just took a lot of their time. It was just a crazy time and a great relationship. And being at the very beginning when it started was just a great honor to have that kind of history in my life. Catherine's relationship to David and Charles was slightly different than that of Howard's. 
Rather than encouraging her to become enveloped in their vision for Nevada City, they encouraged her parents to do so. And for her, they served as a distinct childhood asset. So David and Charles were always part of my childhood. You know, they came up from the city. This was a rundown, funky town, and they saw potential here, just as my parents did. And so they launched into projects. And as a child, I'm just seeing them as they opened up this cool store with the, all these toys and all these little weird, interesting things. They decided to open up and buy the foundry, which they immediately turned into the American Victorian Museum. And there were stories about how they would go back down to the city. One of the stories that my parents told us is that um, there was a big dollhouse in the museum, and the dollhouse was acquired because David, probably David, ran down the street behind a garbage truck because he saw the house on the back of a garbage <laughs> truck. And he said, we have to have that. So they chased down the garbage truck, got the dollhouse, brought it up to the AVM. And those were the kind of I'd like to say antics that I would hear about. Um, they were at our house a great deal. They helped my parents. Um, they told my parents to buy the house that, that they were in because David and Charles heard about it going up for auction. That's how a lot of homes were being acquired. The thing that was, I think, in retrospect, really interesting about David and Charles was their commitment to creating community and to and and driving arts into the community and because they were interested in art doing art they were working with Harold Berliner and the press creating those beautiful posters that you probably see around town and you don't really you don't really think about it it's just like oh those are really beautiful and they're all David and Charles and while the relationships that Charles and David had with both Howard and Catherine eventually grew less involved as the two of them became invested in different projects and evolved to different life stages, the long-lasting effects of their work and of their passions have been proven here to stay. They loved the history. They loved the buildings. They loved the period of Victoriana. And um, that was, you know, the core of who they were. I think our community is awesome because David and Charles took a risk. And they came up and had vision. And as much as I roll my eyes at my parents, they did too. And those early pioneers who managed to get themselves up 80 and then over on 49, get out of the Bay Area that was by no means a terrible place, but they wanted a little bit more. And I just appreciate how much David and Charles put into the community. And I have been a fan forever. You can get tickets to our 45th birthday brunch and find out more at kvmr.org. We hope you can join us to celebrate the lives and accomplishments of David Osborne and Charles Woods on Sunday, June 11th from 10.30 a.m. to 2 o'clock p.m. at the Miners Foundry. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jim. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I'm thinking about the human impulse to name things and know the names of things. There's a mountain peak I see whenever I drive up over Donner Pass to Lake Tahoe. And every single time I say to myself, I wonder what that's called. 
I've been told its name, but just like the exact elevation of Donner Pass, which is over 7,000 feet and also a palindrome, giving me two of the four numbers, I can't seem to remember it. I used to name my cars, the red and white 69 VW bus that stalled out on the highway every time I drove to Vermont was called Alice. But subsequent rides devolved to the Dasher wagon and the planet Jetta. After I finally figured out that Volkswagens had to be repaired too often and Toyotas did not, I dropped the manufacturer's names too. One line of thought says naming things is a way to claim them. If you call it Castle Peak instead of Third Mountain on the left, you're more involved. And of course, if you name it after yourself or your favorite president, there's an assumption of possession. The land I live on, which is mostly owned by Bank of America, is unseated by the local native Nisanon tribe. I refer to it as the poem farm with mixed feelings, thinking I should learn the Nisanon name and also maybe give it back to them. Robert Haas, a poet I love, once wrote, of all the laws that bind us to the past, the names of things are stubbornest. I can still remember how proud I was of learning to spell our street name when I was a kid, Divisadero. Between that and San Francisco, I felt glad to be from where I was from, so I knew how to spell those hard words early on. I thought it gave me an advantage in facing other life difficulties. Mind you, I was six. When I hear the street on the news, I can see it, a silver ribbon extending from the bay all the way to Market Street. It is mine, the way the whole city is mine, 53 years after we moved, the way California remained mine when I lived in Boston, Norway, and Chicago. But it's not that I own these places, it's that I belong to them. They own me, if you will. My skin wakes up in a primal way at the smell of eucalyptus cloaked in fog, or the cable cars chime, even in a stupid TV ad. Every lighthouse is the Alcatraz light hitting my bedroom window. As I write this, I can feel language receding and my senses coming forward. The names are meaningful to me, but it's the sensory response to where I am that carries real power. Because we're animals in the end. We managed without words for a long time, and that memory lives in our cells. The names of things may be stubbornest, as Haas says, but what we experience is most essential. Salt air, the sun on our faces, and the cries of whatever those birds are, the ones we don't know the names of, right where we're standing. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, June 8th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley. 
mecbuilds.com, and Cayman Engineering of Nevada City, providing structural design services for remodels, additions, and new construction throughout Northern California. Cayman Engineering also offers engineering services for the solar industry worldwide. CaymanStructuralEngineering.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. I'll see you back here in mid-August when I return from my summer break. In the meantime, don't miss the next edition of the KVMR Evening News, Friday night at 6.00.